are listening to Renewscast, the official podcast of Renew Wellness, an all-encompassing platform for exploring the world of nutrition. I'm your host, Matthew McCord, an aspiring holistic nutritionist and wellness coach based in Vancouver Island, Canada. I'm a blogger, food lover, consciousness explorer, lactobacillus wrangler, and health and wellness enthusiast. Keep up to date with my latest musings on wellness and health as I keep my ear to the ground in the nutrition community. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Renewscast. Today, we're going to be talking a bit about anxiety. Now, anxiety is definitely going to be something that I talk about a lot in these podcasts. It's been a definite issue that I've struggled with in my life. Uh, And it's extraordinarily common. And, you know, I'm aiming to provide a lot of resource to people who experience this in their life. So today, we're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about uh, some of the physical effects of anxiety in the brain. Um, and we're also going to discuss one of my favorite herbal teas, valerian root. So anyone who's dealt with uh, an anxiety disorder will understand, you know, basically the times it can be absolutely crippling. Uh, disordered anxiety, it's deceitful, it's plaguing, it can really feel like it's taken over your life in the most insidious of ways. The anxious state has many faces, I mean, it can manifest in flurry of distressing, intrusive thoughts and worries that become absolutely maddening, constant checking, uh, worry, doubt, or this insatiable state of panic. You know, as well as these mental sensations, we can experience a hell of a lot of sort of physical, bizarre sensations and experiences thrown in the mix to really further substantiate the chaos. Anxiety itself is not bad for us. Anxiety is undoubtedly a survival mechanism that has facilitated our climb to the top of the evolutionary pyramid as a species. However, when this mechanism becomes disordered and no longer fit for purpose, it can give rise to a number of extremely overwhelming neurological disorders like OCD and panic disorder, PTSD and just generalized anxiety disorder, uh, to name just a few. As an autoimmune disorder may attack the host, anxiety disorders can chip away at an individual's sanity, leaving sufferers at the mercy of their own brain. One of the reasons that these disorders are particularly poignant is not just because they're so debilitating to people's lives, but they're also extraordinarily staggeringly common. As of 2015, one in four adults in the US, which is more than 26% of the total population, suffered from a diagnosable mental disorder. And, of course, these numbers are going to be way, in my opinion, way lower, you know, if they're underreported, because there's such a stigma that's attached to them. If you do suffer from these disorders, it's important to remember that you are not alone, despite your brain trying its utmost to convince you that you are the only person that feels this way and that you're never going to escape it and that this is, you know, the way it is now. You know, these things are absolutely terrifying, but, uh, you know, these just our personal myths. This also means that if you are somebody who doesn't uh, think that mental health issues are particularly impactful on the world, you need to open your eyes. Anxiety and depression are not necessarily mutually exclusive and often two sides of the same coin, working lovingly side by side to strip life of all of its majesty. This leads to both disorders often treated with antidepressant medications that target the brain's wholesome and happy neurotransmitter, serotonin. This approach is often criticised for being reductive as these disorders are inherently complex and 
drug treatment focuses on treating symptoms of the disorders rather than the underlying cause. Anxiety's cousin depression is now the leading cause of disability worldwide, with antidepressants being tossed out like candies to sufferers. In the US alone, 30 million Americans were prescribed 12 billion worth of antidepressants in 2014. For context, 12 billion is more than the gross national product of half of the world's countries in 2005. What happens when we when we experience anxiety? I mean, a lot of the time, if, if anxiety is normal and it's transient, it's built in, it's a natural part of life, that's not an issue. But if we're experiencing what is disordered anxiety, which is where it's, as mentioned before, sort of no longer fit for purpose, or you know, you're really struggling with your mental health and it's really impacting your day to day, if the anxiety levels are not how they should be and you're experiencing excessive worry, etc., then you might go and see your GP, you might go to your doctors. And, you know, I almost have some sympathy when it comes to doctors treating anxiety disorders because doctors are often under-trained for this sort of thing and it's not really what they're signed up for. Now, there are still many sort of issues when it comes to uh, going to the doctors for anxiety. You could, of course, absolutely get the mental health label that you need, you know, to identify the symptoms and then therefore treat them. Uh, you know, if you didn't know you had obsessive compulsive disorder, for example, you know, you wouldn't know how to treat it, which is very important. You know, we, we isolate the symptoms um, and, you know, are aware of what's happening. However, you know, people can often, it can often go the other way because people can often walk out feeling like they have a disease, you know, as mentioned previously, or, you know, that there's something wrong with them. And anxiety is not a disease. Anxiety is an emotion. And we have to welcome all emotions. Now, of course, when it's disordered, you know, it, it becomes different. It becomes extraordinarily challenging to deal with. But you have to remember that anxiety is a natural part of life. And no matter how hard it gets, you know, there, there are ways around it. There are ways to be have that anxiety significantly reduced. You know, you don't like you don't have to live like this anymore. And you have to be careful when you say this because, you know, we can't use the word curable or treatable. And when you look online, you know, if you're experiencing chronic anxiety, and trust me, I have, I'm speaking from absolute experience here. But if you go online and you're desperately anxious and, you know, having panic attacks or whatever, and basically what you're going to be met with online a lot of the time is, um, you know, the words uncurable, untreatable. And you have to be careful with that because, of course, anxiety is an emotion. We can't get rid of it entirely. Just like we can't get rid of sadness, we can't get rid of bad things happening in life, we can't get rid of anxious situations, no more than we can get rid of happiness and joy. But what it should be saying is you will not be feeling the way you are forever, you will not be suffering so much forever. And that's an important distinction when it comes to sort of your googling of your anxiety symptoms initially. But anyway, I'm not a big fan of medicating anxiety. When the doctors prescribe drugs for you, they might prescribe SSRIs to uh, work on the serotonin system, uh, you know, antidepressants. They might prescribe anti-anxiety drugs. They might prescribe things such as uh, Valium or Xanax or, or things like that if the anxiety is extraordinarily acute. Um, and I will go on to express how I feel about these meds later. But the problem with this is often people can walk out of that office uh, feeling like there's something inherently wrong with them, like they're broken. Um, further sort of reinforcing anxiety's message you know they have just more things to worry about now and you know 
often, and this is the case in my anxiety, was that they're one of the biggest and most strongest, the best card in anxiety's hand was that this is here forever and that you're never going to get rid of this problem that you're experiencing right now. And of course, that's not true. One thing that I always like to remind myself and which is very important when dealing with anxiety is that it's temporary, right? If you imagine anxiety is like a lens on a pair of glasses and every time you're looking through that lens, all you're met with is anxiety because you're wearing the anxiety lens. Now, your brain naturally will change these lenses. The lenses will go from the anxiety lens to the peaceful lens and while staring through that lens, all you can see is anxiety and peace and vice versa. You can't relate uh, to feeling peaceful and without anxiety when you're in the anxious mind. Just like you can't sort out the anxiety, sort out the problems from that anxious perspective. One of, Some of the best techniques that I've learned over the years, and again, this is perfect for treating things like uh, pure o- OCD or... Uh, generalized anxiety or panic is just allowing it to pass is just not following it not just an, almost like acceptance and commitment therapy is just labeling it anxiety and not biting the hook as it were allowing it just to pass and eventually your state of mind changes back into that peaceful state of which you can't relate to the anxiety again if we look at anxiety from a neurological perspective for a moment we can observe that it arises from dysregulation of mechanisms in the brain that lead to distress, physical sensations, and a distorted perception of reality. Anxiety itself can perpetuate those aforementioned dysregulations in the brain mechanics. So to clear that up, it starts from for a number of reasons, but the anxiety itself kind of perpetuates itself. It can work like quicksand or a Chinese finger trap and, you know, just trying to... Um, Basically, from the anxious perspective, as mentioned previously, trying to go through those thoughts and think about the thoughts and, you know, really try and work everything out from the anxious mind is like trying to flatten water with an iron. That's one of my favorite Alan Watts quotes there. You know, the anxious mind trying to think its way out of being anxious um, is just a ridiculous task. In fact, in Buddhism, it's referred to as uh, wiping blood off with blood. (laughs) <laughs> it's like uh, if you had a red wine stain on your wedding dress and you try to pour more red wine on it to try and get the stain out. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, if you suffer from anxiety, uh, you can really understand how hopeless it seems sometimes. And then also some of these um, aha moments that come across, just, you know, everything becomes so clear and a lot of it makes so much sense. And then you can just snap straight back into the anxiety again. And it truly is distressing. So it's been long understood that uh, a portion of the brain known as the amygdala, which is like a little almond-shaped structure in the temporal lobes of the brain, plays a clear role in the generation of the fear response and anxiety, as well as playing a key role in the formation of emotional learning. Uh, That's like learning what things to be scared of and and, um, basically a dysregulation of the way that this amygdala works. We often have disordered anxiety Um, But as an anxious person, I used to despise this little evil brain almond. And there was plenty of days that I would love to spoon the bastard out of my skull and make fucking marzipan, you know, instead of suffer under its perpetual torture. But with this in mind, uh, oh God, ignore the pun pun there. It should be noted that the amygdala is not the be-all and end-all of the fear response. In fact, it's really a chatter back and forth between numerous... Uh, numerous parts of the brain 
which creates a bit of a network of fear. Not one specific region drives of the brain drives anxiety, um, but the the brain governs its fear response as a whole. Now, anxiety, of course, without a shadow of a doubt, is useful. If we didn't have anxiety, we wouldn't be here today. We also, not only does it just govern the fear response, but it also basically tells us where to put our attention. So it creates the idea that certain things are important and that we should put our attention into them. And it makes us care about things. You know, the fear, really, anxiety targets the things that we care about. And that can be awful at times, but it also reinforces that we have things in life that we love and that we care about and that we want to pursue. So it's also it's also how we learn to fear predators in our environment as a means of survival. We might have fought off or run away from something potentially harmful and therefore learn to be prepared next time due to our brain registering that effect that experience is fearful. This can manifest in a wide range of modern situations. You see, we're not running away from the the lions and tigers per se anymore. And we're not in, I mean, there's plenty of bears and cougars in BC, but, you know, back in England, for example, you know, the scariest animal we had was a fucking badger and nobody saw one of those ever. So, you know, likely these days we're not often running away from bears and tigers, um, but we... Uh, we still have this learned fear response and it's very poignant in our day-to-day life. You know, we might experience a fear of swimming, uh, for example, fear of water after experience, after an experience where we nearly drowned. You know, our brain sort of unambiguously is uh, creating a fear response to protect ourselves at all costs from these experiences. Now, effectively with this in mind, our adorable little almond-shaped nuclei friend is really trying to do the best thing for us by putting the absolute fucking fear of God into us. Unfortunately, from an evolutionary perspective, we don't need to, uh, you know, thrive and be ecstatic and happy every day to survive and pass on our genes. So, um, really, the fear response in many cases has become rather vestigial in our current world. So, you know, our adorable little pal amygdala continues to process memories and associations that, you know, often run out of control, wire us into an absolute despair from a number of complex reasons this fear can sort of be misaligned and disordered. So remember, you know, one thing, one takeaway is that anxiety is extraordinarily uh, common. It's important. It was the reason we're still here today and that we can wire it um, into a certain direction and also rewire it into another direction. A future podcast that I'm going to release based on a blog that I've written is all about neurogenesis, which is all about uh, rewiring the brain and um, you know looking at the brain's capacity for neuroplasticity, which is its uh, ability to sort of move around and change. So the take-home message that I'm uh, trying to put away here is that the way we fire is the way we wire in our brain and we can absolutely wire ourselves back out of an anxious brain i've done it i've known many people who've done it so with that in mind is it possible to subdue these fear networks as well as rewire our brains into a state of calm or unequivocally yes anxiety disorders need not to be a death sentence anymore and when it comes to anxiety treatments there's a number of ways meds or otherwise to actually treat these i'm not Of course, I'm not a clinical psychologist, I'm not going to deep dive into various psychological approaches or therapy techniques, but I can attest to a lot of them in person. 
uh, through personal application, through various testimonies of many different people. Um, if anxiety becomes seriously disordered, you should seek help from a licensed mental health practitioner. However, it is indisputable that extremely positive changes can occur in response to lifestyle changes, such as incorporating a healthy, balanced diet and exercise, as well as practices such as meditation and breathing exercises. You know, my thoughts are that you should attack anxiety in a variety of different ways. You know, the ball is going to start rolling when you get better enough to be able to actually give yourself an onslaught of everything that you've got. You know, there's things that you can do, things that you can give up, and things that you can add to your life, which will give you the best shot at tackling your demons. You know, mood disorders are often separated from physical health problems, but can benefit massively from the same sort of physical lifestyle interventions. Throughout these podcasts, I intend to look at a lot of these mechanisms uh, we can find for tackling our demons. So, anxiety in the brain has a chemical off switch as well. So one thing to wrap your head around a little bit here, and this can get a little bit complex, one of the one of the neurotransmitters that I like to focus on, um, and neurotransmitters being chemicals in the brain that allow this sort of facilitation of electronical activity in the brain, so uh, chemical messengers in the brain that allow certain brain activities. Uh, so one of the one of these neurotransmitters I like to look at um, is GABA or gamma aminobutyric acid. So GABA is a very common neurotransmitter that's very well researched, and it's has its main function is that it has an inhibitory effect on certain signaling pathways in the brain. So inhibitory meaning it calms down the brain. It works by calming down excitatory neural pathways um, in the brain associated with elevated states of mood, such as anxiety and stress. If we were able to increase our levels of GABA activation in the brain, we can therefore reduce the intensity of the mechanisms of anxiety. Thoughts feel less piercing. Physical effects of anxiety subside. A feeling of calm washes over us. This is anxiety's off switch. A series of particularly notorious drugs prescribed to treat anxiety lie in the benzodiazepine class, which commonly include uh, known drugs such as Valium and Xanax. These drugs work very effectively on the neurotransmitter GABA and can subdue anxiety almost too well. Uh, This can lead to a a number of serious cases of dependency um, for anxiety sufferers and also a huge number of unwanted side effects. We can also thank alcohol's calming effects for its effect on GABA. And alcohol, of course, is abused a lot of the time for people who have experienced trauma or experiencing poor mental health for this very reason. Uh, You know, alcohol helps us forget. It makes us feel calm. It knocks us out. It subdues us. These drugs douse our brains in short-lived calm and can cause severe ups and downs that add extra problems to those suffering with anxiety. Of course, as well, there's stigma attached to taking meds a lot of the time when you are dealing with anxiety or mental health issues. You know, every time you take that meds, it can reinforce the fact that there might be something wrong with you. Let's just get this out of the way. Although I don't 100% love uh, medicating anxiety, I understand that a lot of the time it needs to happen. If you look at the sort of Hamilton scale of depression, which is often referred back to when when we look at mental health, um, if we can move even one point up that scale, um, of which antidepressants really a lot of the time can 
only boosters. Studies show that they can only boost as one sort of point up the Hamilton scale of depression. That can save somebody's life, you know. So a lot of the time, um, as a short-term fix, as a crux, as you know, just as something, these meds can be very useful. But like, I definitely try and push uh, dealing with anxiety without the meds if possible. Now, going back to benzodiazepines, yes, they can be very, very useful um, and they, you know, they work quite well for somebody who has very, very chronic anxiety and you can work them into therapy and stuff to try and ease and taper off them and um, help you. But when it comes to treating your anxiety without the, you know, without the use of intense chemical intervention, I would say stay away from the benzos. Now, now, are there ways to activate these same receptors in a sort of milder, steady and calming way? Um, to sort of just tickle the receptors, um, you know, without these extremely strong and potent drugs that are quite addictive. Well, yes, actually, one of my favorite herbal teas, which is, again, commonly used, uh, is known as valerian root. So valerian root is a perennial that's native to Europe and Asia, and it's like dried root has been used for a variety of purposes, such as uh, helping sleep and anxiety. The musky root of the plant can be ground up and drank as tea and can provide subtle respite to anxiety sufferers. The main compound in valerian root tea is valerianic acid. Uh, valerian root tea can work to directly subdue excessive activity in the, in the amygdala, a little anxious, crazy almond in the brain. The active ingredient valerianic acid is thought to act in a very, very subtle way in these GABA receptors, possibly by inhibiting the breakdown of these chemicals in the brain um, rather than by directly stimulating them, uh, resulting in just a very gradual, very, very nice and easy feeling of calm. So studies have shown that valerian root extract can work very well for OCD sufferers with a distinct reduction in obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviours when compared to control group. Uh, the study obviously also revealed that there was a huge lack of side effects experienced by the participants that were treated with the valerian extract. Um, so in my personal experience, and my anxiety has taken a lot of different forms over the years, uh, but when it was extremely acute and I was having a lot of panic attacks um, and just that feeling of like your body's in constant fight or flight mode and I kind of, I used to have um, panic attacks just before going to bed a lot of the time, so that was kind of intense and I always knew for a while, you know, you were sort of conditioned to expect to feel those panic attacks again and I know this is very common with people who have panic attacks, you expect to have a panic attack in a certain situation and that just is enough to set it off. So in the evenings, I found um, this valerian root tea to be very, very useful uh, just to sort of it, it kind of just knocked me out a bit without being without being super drowsy or anything. It just like, really really took the edge off. So I would highly recommend it, um, and not just for people who suffer from anxiety. Anyway, it does really help to improve your sleep and just get you ready for bed in the evenings. Um, now, the downside of valerian routine and it, it is is not that it's like there's any drug interactions that I know of or anything, or that it's uh, got any bad side effect. It just absolutely stinks of feet. Um, that's the only downside that I can think of Valerian root tea and honest to god like it absolutely hums of feet like it's like the subtle bouquet of the human foot <laughs> it is absolutely minging and um, I mean you, you sort of push past this initially and like I really don't care I don't, it does it smells kind of like 
old peas and feet and like I, that definitely puts a lot of people off I remember buying um, a huge massive like pillow sized bag of this back in like 2012 and uh, it was just ground up and it was proper stinking and uh, I accidentally spilt like the whole bag in my ex-girlfriend's car and I can guarantee that that car still smells like feet to this day anyway if you can get over that which you know just get over it man it's just uh, it's it's you, you eventually you get used to the smell um what i do is just like you know you can put um a couple of spoonfuls steep it in a tea strainer or whatever in some boiling water um for sort of allow it to steep for 10 to 15 minutes before bed uh as I say, it's best to be consumed just before bed, so its sedative effects can be utilized. Uh, you don't really want to drink it too much during the day because it kind of can induce a bit of a mild drowsiness. Although people with anxiety, you can just bring them back to base level really a lot more than just uh, than really knocking people out. But yeah, I mean, and I'm not suggesting the valerian root alone is going to completely lift your anxiety symptoms, but it can help to push, as mentioned earlier push you out of those acute um, anxiety phases where you're really just perpetuating the thoughts and really thinking about the same thing over and over again. It can really benefit to sort of take the edge off and push you into that next lens so that you can get a bit of respite on your anxiety itself. So I did find it excellent and I was shouting from the rooftops when I first started drinking this. Um, I actually used to just chill it um, put it in the fridge and I would just sip it you know if I if I felt something coming on and you know it could have been at that point a bit of placebo because when I did sort of feel a bit anxious I would take a few sips and it did work to calm me down but anyway it, it is useful but I'm not suggesting that it's a panacea either I'm not suggesting that it's going to cure your anxiety overnight you know this is a multifactorial approach um, but this is a great little supplement so it did become part of my routine and it does have clear evidence-based solutions for, you know, your mild to moderate anxiety uh, and it's great for sleep. So a fantastic arsenal in your battle to help soothe anxious episodes. So yeah, <clears throat> that's a little bit about me, about my struggles. I guess we touched on that a little bit and just about anxiety in general. And if you are a sufferer, you know, I just want to let you know that it does 100% get better um, these things they're not permanent they're not a death sentence and take it from me I swear to god it's going to get easier and easier and you know what will happen is you'll get to a point where you really really can tackle it a lot more you'll get out of that overwhelming state and I promise you although it doesn't you know you might be listening to this and you're thinking well it's never going to get better and better but it, it does um, you just even if you can't relate to it you know you can't relate to it right now because you're in that other lens you can't relate to the peaceful lens again but know that it's coming and just have blind faith that it can change. So anyway, thank you very much for listening, guys. Much appreciated. Um, yeah, we're going to keep these episodes coming and keep staying tuned. So we're going to get into neurogenesis and how to influence that with diet and exercise in future episodes. So stay tuned. If you're interested, uh, you can find out more on www.renewwellnessblog.com. And yeah, thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day.